what I'd like to do today is as you're thinking about the reason for the season, how many have really stopped to think about how we've gotten here or why we are even celebrating the birth of Jesus this season. Amen. And, and I know around this time of year, you know, people get caught up in that ages old argument about why do we celebrate Christmas now and, and he wasn't even born this time of year, et cetera, et cetera, you know. Well, in my, from my perspective, I'd like to celebrate Jesus every single day. It could be Christmas every day because we are remembering the very wonderful gift that God gave us in the form of his son, and we should be honoring him this time of year too. So this is the year that we have settled, we, the body of Christ, have settled on celebrating Jesus' birth, and I think God would be pleased with the fact that we are setting aside this one day. So don't let yourself get caught up into the legalistic nonsense about whether or not you should be celebrating because Jesus wasn't born now. But, but getting back to the, to the focus of today's message, though, where did all of this start? Where did this, all of this start with Jesus, you know, and, and the fact of celebrating his birth and so on? Well, where did it start? Where was the need for Jesus? Okay? And I'm not talking about looking at it from man's calendar point of view and what year did, was the first Christmas celebrated. I don't mean man's earthly history, but I'm talking about the real history. I'm talking about spiritual history and things that were done and the events that led up to this. Why was Jesus even born? Why was he born? Let's go to Isaiah 14. The book of Isaiah 14. Isaiah 14. Everything has a beginning. Absent God, that is. We know that he always was. Amen. But, but why, why Jesus? Why do we even... Why did God have to go through this? You know, God always has a plan, and that should be evidenced in thinking about it relative to your life. God always has a plan. And if you look at um, Isaiah 14, and starting with verse number 12, it says here, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which did weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend unto heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit upon, also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. Okay? So we see here where it started. It started right there in heaven with the rebellion of Lucifer. Okay, and his will, his prideful will in saying that I will ascend into heaven. I will be like God. This was a, 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 a willful act, a conscious act, showing you that indeed angels do have a, they do have a free will. There are those that would write that angels don't. Angels have a free will. They have choice. And this is where Lucifer chose to go. This was the beginning of pride and the beginning of sin in the heavenlies. And as such, we know the rest of the story there. He was cast out. And then if you move forward in time, move forward to Genesis, Genesis 3, you move forward in time, you know, and when you read that scripture, I I believe when Brother Brandon was teaching, I think he asked you to underline the number of times I will was shown there. 
And if you notice there, there were several times that Satan, Lucifer, just said, I will, I will. This is what he wanted to do. And so he was cast out, cast down to earth. And so now we see that picking up in Genesis chapter 3, in verse number 1, Genesis 3, Chapter 3, verse number 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the, tru- of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, You shall not eat of it. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die. You see? So here he was again, you know, using a lie. You know, back in verse number um, one there, when he said, You shall not, uh, did God really say, You shall not eat of every tree? Eve knew what God said. But again, Satan is putting doubt at this point. He's Satan. Satan is putting doubt into the woman's head. All right? And then he says, um, Shall you surely, you shall not surely die, saying a lie, contradicting what God said to her. For God does know that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves aprons. And you know the rest of the story there, how they were cast out of the garden. So here we see Lucifer cast out of heaven for his sin, now comes down to earth, and then wants to pervert man's crown, uh, God's crowning uh, creation, crowning achievement, the creation of man. And says unto, unto her, you shall not surely die, you know. And so she ate, and gave it to her husband. Of course, we know the story there that when God confronted Adam, Adam, what did Adam say to God? Well, the woman made me do it. I didn't do it on my own. She convinced me to do it, you know, passing the buck. And I think this still exists today. My wife made me do it, you know. So, and so we know where that stems from. But we, we see here, though, where, where, where sin was in heaven and then it came down to earth. Now, this is all about why the need for Jesus. Why the need for Jesus. Thus, we see the entrance of sin into mankind. And then we move forward again here. Let's go back to Isaiah. Let's go back to Isaiah. And when I say for, I actually mean forward in, the, in your Bible. Isaiah uh, 42. Praise the living God. Isaiah 42, starting with verse number 1. Behold, my servant, whom I uphold, mine elect, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. He shall not cry, nor lift up, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed shall he not break. A bruised reed shall he not break. Please underline that. A bruised reed he shall not break. And the smoking flax shall he not quench. He shall bring forth judgment unto truth. He shall not fail nor be discouraged and he, uh, till he hath set judgment in the earth. And the isles shall wait for his law. 
Thus saith God the Lord, he that created the heavens and stretched them out, he that spread forth the earth and that which comes up out of it, that uh, giveth breath unto the people upon it, and spirit to them that walk therein. The Lord, uh, I the Lord have called thee in righteousness, and will uphold thine hand, and will keep thee, and give thee for a covenant of the people, for a light of the Gentiles, to open the blind eyes, to bring out the prisoners from the prison, and them that sit in darkness out of the prison house. Now we know by this prophecy here, Isaiah is referring to, of course, none other than Jesus himself. The book of Isaiah was written approximately 800 years before the birth of Christ. Roughly 800 years. So here this prophecy was given back then, showing clearly that God had a plan. God always has a plan. In the same way, way back from the beginning of time, knowing that Lucifer was going to cause rebellion, knowing that Lucifer was going to be cast out, knowing that he was going to come down and tempt man and bring sin into the three-dimensional world that we live in, the physical world that we bring in, God had a plan. But the only way that he could do that was to bring forth someone that he knew would not sin, that would be sinless. So God put together this beautiful, elaborate plan to bring Jesus Christ to send his only son to us to save all of mankind. Jesus is often referred to as the son of Abraham and the son of David. It was God's plan to bring Jesus through a special lineage. Now, how do we know that? Let's go to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 1. God always has a plan. You know, the thing about it, as you're turning to Matthew 1, is that sometimes when the trials of life, the tribulations of life come upon me, and I'm no different from anyone else. You know, I've, I've heard you say, you've heard me say that, you know, as a pastor and sometimes whatnot, I believe that we are under attack even more so than others because the devil would love to shut us up from spreading God's word. But I have my days, I have my weeks, I have my months, and I have my years. And every now and then when I'm feeling discouraged or feeling, God, what's going on? The whole thing of Jesus Christ, God's plan for mankind, God's plan for me, knowing that according to his word, God knew me before the foundations of the earth. And I think about if God could put together this beautiful master plan to bring Jesus here, to, 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 to minister, to, to go to the cross. I mean, in every step of the way, and you read the scriptures in between all of that, from the time that he was born to the cross, you read the wonderful things that he did. You see God's direction and God's plan throughout that, all, that whole thing, spanning hundreds of years, hundreds of years. And I say to myself, well, gee whiz, if God did that, my little puny, insignificant life, it's quite easy for him to fix what I'm wrestling with. It's quite easy for him to carry me through that. He planned all of this. He planned creation. He did all of that. And God told me that he's, he, he's interested in me, that he loves me. He told me that. He told me that when I was deep in prayer, when things really seemed difficult, when things were, 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 were tough, Bringing up a young family. When, when, when those times when it seemed almost, where was the hope? There was always hope in knowing God. Because I knew that God cared for me. And how did I know that? Because I heard him. He told me. You see? And how could I hear him? How could he tell me that if I wasn't listening? How could I hear him? And how did, did I know he's telling me that if I wasn't talking to him? 
If you've got a next door neighbor and there's no communication going on between you, how can you know what's going on? If there's someone in your family and there's no real communication going on, how can you know what's going on? So there's no communication between you and God, then it's small wonder that the times in your life that really seem desperate and difficult remain prolonged and drawn out. The thing for us Christians is that Jesus said you will have tribulations. Yeah, you will have times of troubles in your life. But Jesus said though that he's greater than all, that he's come to overcome the world. That, and if you're in him as a child of God, that feeling of despair or depression or, 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 or the issue that's in your life shouldn't be long and drawn out. Because you've got to remember, God has a plan for you. His plan. And you may not see it, you may not believe it. Right now you may not see it. But there's a plan for your life. I'm telling you, as surely as I'm standing here and as surely as you're sitting there, you know. If you don't believe you're sitting there in front of you, hit the chair you're sitting on. There's a chair under you. You are physically here. Amen. So if you can believe that, believe what I say to you and believe what the word of God is saying, there's a, God has a plan for you. So the same way God did this for, for Jesus, the whole plan of salvation for us, giving us totally undeserved grace, Nothing that we could earn. You can't earn the grace of God by how much you give. You can't earn the grace of God by by doing works. God has a plan for you. Remember that this Christmas season. And you've got the things in your life going on that you're wondering about, or the things dealing with family, friends, job, work, whatever it might be. Think about this Christmas time. Think about the gift of Jesus that he gave you. And because of the fact that God gave... The ultimate gift is only begotten Son. So for us, that God has a plan. Do you think God would go through all of those things? Do you think Jesus being a willing, loving part of the Godhead would have agreed with God the Father? Yes, I'm going to go down there and be separated from you, Father. You ever loved one in your life that you had to go away? You know, I mean, even on vacation. Our grandkids cried when we went away on vacation for a couple of weeks. They got kind of sad and stuff. Can we go with you? Can we go with you? you know? And I've had loved ones in my life. I remember, you know, when they go away. And I remember going into the military. I mean, gee whiz, boy, man, I had sleepless nights and everything because I want to see my family. Jesus left his father. From the beginning, what does, the, what does John say? In the beginning was the word and the word was with God. Jesus never knew separation from his father. But think about that on this Christmas season. That, that Jesus left his father. God said, go. And Jesus said, yes, dad, I'll go. God gave him. And as such, if he had this wonderful plan for, for Jesus, he has a plan for you. God planned it. Go to Matthew 1, verse number 1 here. The book of the generations of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac begat Jacob, and Jacob begat Judas and his brethren. Okay? And then it goes through the long line. I'm not going to go through all of these begats. Okay? And you see there, and if you go through all of those begats, you'll see, you'll see some familiar names. You know, um, Eleazar, uh, uh, you, you see uh, Rachel, uh, you'll see some others in there, Ruth, I mean. You know, you go through the lineage and you'll see. And then when it gets to verse number 17, verse number 16, and Jacob begat Joseph. The husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who was called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David 
are 14 generations. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. And from David until the carrying away uh, into Babylon are 14 generations. And from the carrying away into Babylon unto Christ are 14 generations. And then it goes on to say about the birth of Christ, and we'll save that for, for our Christmas Day. Okay? So we see here the, the lineage, and the point that I'm making here is that this is going way back to Abraham. God carefully chose. How, you, you, know, you know, Abraham begat Isaac. Isaac begat Jacob. Remember the whole thing between Isaac and, uh, Ram, and, the, and the other son, uh, Ishmael? Amen? Amen? Jesus came through Isaac, you see. So God had a plan that spanned thousands of years. Think about that when we think about this holiday season, you see. Jesus was sent from heaven for a special purpose to benefit everyone that is sitting here in the sanctuary. Go to John 6. Go to John 6. John chapter 6. And we're just going to start with verse number 30. Matter of fact, let's go to 29. Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that you believe on him whom he sent. They said therefore unto him, What signs showest thou then? That we may see and believe thee. What does thou work? Our fathers did eat manna in the desert, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. See, here they hear right away asking, what can we see that we can believe? You know, many times in, in, in our life, where we get so hung up is, in, is that when we're praying to God for something, something that we need, some experience, some be it a job, a house, a car, or something with a relationship, or whatever it might be, and you're praying for that, and you don't see anything, you wind up being like this, when you, where you're saying there, give us a sign that we may see and believe. Well, it's those that believe without seeing, that's when you're really blessed. What did Doubting Thomas say? I will only see and believe that Jesus was, um, was risen if I can touch him. If I can touch him. Jesus showed up, poof. Touched my hands and my side, you know. That must have really surprised him. You see? And that's where the phrase came from, don't be a Doubting Thomas. So the things in your life that you're praying for, the hopes and the dreams and the desires that you have, you just need to know that God's there. God's there. And you don't need a sign because that is not faith. That is not faith. You know, you know, if God tells you to go down to, uh, to Shell, to the Shell gas station, there's going to be a brand new spanking, you know, car there. You're spanking new car for you. And God, you know, that's God telling you that. Okay, Lord, give me a sign. Am I going to see markers on the road? Or are you just simply going to show up at the Shell station where God said that car is going to be? You see? So you can't go through your life looking for a sign because God doesn't work that way because it doesn't take any faith when you've got signs. It doesn't take any faith. What faith is that? You know, hey, I'm going to give you a $100 bill and you got the $100 waving in front of your face. It doesn't have any faith for you to, to do it. You see the $100 bill. It takes more faith for me to say, I got a $100 bill for you and I don't show you anything. That takes a lot of faith. Amen? Amen? Or I'm going to pay off your car note. It takes a lot of faith for you to believe that I'm going to do that. Well, God wants us to be that way. Faith by seeing things is not faith. 
You walk by sight. We don't, we don't walk by sight. Amen? Amen? So, so right away he says to him, he says to Jesus, you know, give, give us a sign. What does, you know, thou work? And then he said, our fathers did eat manna in the desert, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus in 32 says, then Jesus said unto them, verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my father giveth you true bread from heaven. Now, what's he talking about here, all right? Moses didn't give you that bread, but my father, my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which comes down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Please highlight all of verse number 33. For the bread of God is he which comes down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. Please underline. I am the bread of life. He that comes to me shall never hunger. And he that believes on me shall never thirst. Please underline or highlight all of that. I am the bread of life. He that comes unto me shall never hunger. And he that believes on me shall never thirst. Well, first of all, ask yourself, do you believe that? You know, bread here is talked about as the as the staff of life. I mean, the real sub- substance of, 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 of the substance of life. So, if you have Jesus, you're never going to hunger. You're never going to thirst. Now, what is hunger? Is Jesus here referring to just food and water? No, he's referring to a lot more than that. It's whatever the needs are in your life. You're not going to want. You know, if you're quote unquote hungry, you don't think Jesus knows that you're hungry. You don't think he knows that you need a new car, that you need a new job, that you need a new house, you need clothes on the back, your children need, your mother needs, your father needs. You don't think God knows all of these things, you know? God could plan the whole universe, can plan the whole birth of Jesus through that long lineage from Abraham. But God don't know I need a new coat. God doesn't realize I'm sick of this job. God doesn't know that this house is too small. God doesn't know, God doesn't know, God doesn't know I need a raise. God can do all of this, but he doesn't know. All right? So you've got to remind yourself this Christmas time, that when God was planning all of this, he didn't forget little old you. You're important to him. Okay? Everyone sitting here in this, under the sound of my voice in this sanctuary, God has a plan for you. He's got a plan for you. And it could be some place where you have no feeling or no idea of where you're going to go, what you're going to do. But trust me when I say he knows every single thing that's going on in your life. He knows what you're missing. He knows what you need. He knows your pluses. He knows your minuses. If there's something that he needs you to do that you are not quite ready to do, God's going to prepare you to do that. Okay? God would never send me out. I'm going to really use an extreme. God would never send me out to be a, uh, a stock car racer, you know, or a jockey on a horse to become a champion uh, rider, horseback rider, if I didn't know how to read a, ride a horse. Why would God go and tell you to go, I want you to win this horse race and not prepare you how to ride that horse? You ever stop and think about that? See, the essence of what the devil does many times is that when God starts preparing you for something or there's something that you need to do to get you to a point and it feels like there's so much work for me to get there or how am I going to do that? I don't have the degree. I don't have this. I'm not able to do that. 
I've never read that before. I don't know this. Don't you think that God, if God is saying, this is where I'm going to send you, he's going to give you the ability to get there? How could God ever be glorified in your life if he had you to do something and then that you failed? That's not glorifying God. Okay? Now, we all have choices. Make no mistake here. We, have no, we all have choices. So if God is preparing you for something, we all have that choice of not wanting to do what God wants us to do. We have the choice of my not taking horseback riding lessons. Amen? God wants to prepare me. God said, here, I'm going to send you an instructor. And I decide, oh, I'm not going to bother with that instructor. I'm too busy. Which is another thing that gets us into trouble with God. God may want us to do something and be preparing you for something, but you're too busy to take that preparation. You think there's going to be a shortcut. There are no shortcuts. Absent God. If God is telling you what to do, I mean, he can leapfrog you over a whole lot of hurdles in life. He can certainly do that. But you've got to be following his direction. Amen? Amen? So, so Jesus is rightfully saying here, he's, he's saying that, that he is the, is the bread. You know, you know uh, he, he said there that I am the bread of life in 35. That comes to me, uh, he that comes to me shall never hunger. He that believes on me shall never thirst. But I said unto you that you also have seen me and believe not. How many have seen Jesus and believe not? In essence, have seen Jesus and believe not. Or has had Jesus doing things in their lives and believe not. God has done miracles and has done blessings in many people's lives and whatnot, but yet still they don't believe him. At the time that miracle or that, or that blessing comes upon them, they'll say, oh my gosh, and they'll be tearful and so forth and choked up in the voice and so forth. I know God did this. I know God did that. Oh boy, I'm so, th- I know, I'm so thankful. And then the next time a trial or a test comes up, or they need something, and maybe it's taking a little bit longer, then all of a sudden... But I say unto you that you have also seen me and believe not. How quickly that belief disappears. So if you can believe God on Monday for something that was done, and then it's done, how do we all all of a sudden forget God on Friday? All of a sudden we stop believing. Okay? See, God knows. God knows how much you trust Him or how much you doubt. God knows. You can pretend and put up a front and play holier than thou. You can do all of that. God knows your heart and you can't escape that. You know? And you know your heart also. You know how much faith you have in God. If you find yourself worrying and whatnot, worrying, and I'm not talking about a momentary worry. We all worry, okay? I'm, I'm not, you know, we all, we, we all worry. But, but when that worry comes into your life, you've got to get it into perspective quickly. You've got to check that right away. Spirit of fear in the name of Jesus, I rebuke that. God has not given me a spirit of fear. I will not worry. I cast all my cares upon God. And then you pick it up and then you move on. You see? But you wind up dwelling on it. You wind up dwelling on it. So if you're dwelling on it, then that means that the question you need to ask yourself, how much do you really, 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 really trust God? How much doubt do you got rolling around in your heart unchecked? You better check that doubt and get it out of there. Because it just doesn't work that way. Verse 37, all that the Father gives me shall come to me, and him that comes to me I will in no wise cast out. So I will in no way cast him out. All that the Father gives me um, uh, shall come to me, and him that he that comes to me I will in no way cast him out. 
So you go to Jesus, he will no way just tell you to leave. He won't say, go from, get away from me. Verse 38, for I came down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. Can you understand that? That when Jesus came down here this Christmas, you think that when Jesus was born and he came here, every single step of the way, from the time that he was born, the devil was after him, you know. You know the whole thing with Herod. They were trying to find him. Herod tried to get the wise men who followed the star to tell him where he was. They wouldn't. So to be safe, or to be safe, the Satan through Herod, Herod sent out a decree to kill all babies that were two years and under. Okay? To be safe. It's in scripture. Okay? Kill all the babies two years and under. Then the wise men were guided out of town another way. So they could no further longer be, be, uh, be, be uh, challenged. Amen? It's a fascinating, fascinating read. So from the time that Jesus was born, his life was challenged. But he said that he came to do the Father's will. Neither one of those times where he was challenged, how many mobs tried to kill him and whatnot, and they say Jesus walked out right between them, they didn't even see him go out. Amen? How many times were they, were they after him? He never said, all right, Dad, call me back, I'm tired of this, they're trying to kill me down here. All right? No, no. He stayed the course. He stayed the course. As we must stay the course. He said, I came here to do my Father's will. Amen? Verse 39 says, And this is the Father's will which has sent me, that of all which has given me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me. Underline this. And this is the will of him that sent me. That everyone which sees the Son and believes on him may have everlasting life. And I will raise him up at the last day. Highlight all of verse number 40. Okay? And this is the will of him that sent me. That everyone which seeth the Son and believes on him may have everlasting life. And I will raise him up at the last day. You see the key. Double underline and believes in me. Or believes on him. Double underline that. Okay? Because that's another question too. Do you believe? Do you believe? Or is this just some fantasy thing? Oh, it's a nice story. It's a cool story what I read in the Bible there. Okay? So the key here is that for you to have everlasting life, you've got to believe on him. I mean, this is the whole thing of salvation. When you come to the Lord and you give your heart to Jesus Christ, what are you saying? You know, that I believe in my heart that he is the son of God. Amen? Verse 41 goes on to say, the Jews then, excuse me, the Jews then murmured at him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. They didn't like when he said, I am the bread which come down from heaven. And they said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he saith, I come down from heaven? So he's trying to say, isn't that the kid from down the block? I know his mother and father. How is he saying that I came down from, from heaven? You see? Again, just unbelief, unbelief. 40, 43. Jesus therefore answered and said unto them, Murmur not amongst yourselves. In other words, stop, you know, murmuring and, and, and criticizing and, and all that and complaining among yourselves. No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me. Draw him. And I will raise him up at the last day. Please highlight under that, underline all that too. No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me. Draw him. Now you stop and really understand the gravity or the heaviness of that statement. The reason that you, sitting in this room, 
at some point in time in your life, you prayed the sinner's prayer and you came to Jesus and you asked Jesus to come into your life. The reason that you did that was because God the Father himself drew you. You got to think about that. Maybe you didn't realize it, but God the Father himself was drawing you. Then at some point in time, you surrendered. And you said, yes, Lord, come into my life. Jesus said, no man can come to him unless the Father draws him. Okay? So this other thing. During this Christmas time, think about because of the work that Jesus did. It, it, it it kind of it it emphasizes the importance of you, your life to God. God set all this up. And then he says... I'm going to call to Robbie. I'm going to call to M, Candace, to Brandon, to Svetlana. I'm going to call. I'm going to call. Then he kind of calls and he just waits. Not many of us answer right away. Not many of us come the first time God is calling us. And then all of a sudden, things start happening in your life. Things just kind of start going all different kind of crazy ways. Depending on who you are and God's plan for your life and depending on how stubborn you are, (laughs) sometimes things can get downright impossible where you wind up falling on your knees and crying out, Lord, please help me, such as I did. Such as I did. Way back when, I said, Lord, I've tried doing this myself. And I just can't do it. I tried figuring this out. I tried figuring that out. And it's just not not working. Lord, please come into my life. I give it all to you, Lord. And confessed. And Jesus came into my life. Now, God was calling me for some time. Some time. I know it. See? But out of stubbornness, out of having my own way, out of wanting to be... um, to be so uh, intellectual and studying things that I thought would get me to God and to find out all of the deeper secrets of God in life went off on a journey that was totally fruitless God came back and took all of that knowledge that I did gain and put it to work relative to Him it put everything in perspective what I'm saying though is that God the Father called you and at some point in your life you decided to come to Him and it's because of that you're going to have everlasting life. But if, if Jesus had not come here and didn't do the will of the Father, and all of these things hadn't been set in motion, you would not have had the opportunity to do what you did, to come to Jesus. You understand what I'm saying? If you think about Christmas, what this really means, Jesus was obedient to God the Father to come here to be born. So that God's plan could begin to unfold. It goes on to say in verse number 45, It is written in the prophets, and they shall be all taught of God. Every man therefore that has heard and has learned of the Father cometh unto me. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be all taught of God. Please remember, and they shall all uh, be taught of God. Every man therefore that has heard. Underline, every man that has heard and has learned of the Father comes unto me. So if you've heard of the Father, you wound up coming unto Jesus. Verse 46, not that any man have seen the Father, 
save he which is of God, and he has seen the Father. Okay, not that any man has seen the Father, except he which is of God, he has seen the Father, meaning himself. No man has seen the Father, except for Jesus. 47, verily, verily. Remember what I say unto you when you see verily, verily. Something dynamite's about to come. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believes on me has everlasting life. Please underline it. He that believes on me has everlasting life. So I say to you today, he that believes on me has everlasting life. So... If you're worried about that job, if you're worried about that money, if you're worried about that house, if you're worried about that relationship, if you're worried, if you're worried, if you're worried, if you're worried. How can you be worried if you say you believe on Jesus? How can you believe that you have everlasting life? Oh, I'm going to heaven. I love Jesus. I gave myself to the Lord. I know I'm going to heaven according to the word. But gee whiz, I don't know why God hasn't answered my prayer. I don't know why, I don't know why, I don't know why. How can you say that and then not be believing in Jesus? If you believe in Jesus and you're willing to accept the fact that you have everlasting life, but you can't believe God to to bring you through a path that you're trying to go through in this life, then how can you say that you really believe on Jesus? You see, it's kind of a contradiction there, you see. So this way you really got to do some soul searching within yourself. And how much do I really believe on God? If you can't believe, you know, and I, I submit this to you. If you can't believe God for whatever it is that you're praying for. If you can't believe God for what you're, whatever it is that you're praying for and hoping for. Then how can you really believe that you have everlasting life? Ask yourself that. If you can't trust God and believe God for whatever things are going on in your life to be fixed, corrected, or whatever it is that you need, if you can't believe God for that, then ask yourself, and how can you believe that you have everlasting life? Think about that. Can you envision yourself in heaven? Can you envision yourself going into eternity? Then if you can believe yourself going into heaven and living into eternity, worshiping God, if you can really believe that, then how can't you believe God for correcting whatever situation is going on in your life right now. It's one in the, in, you know, to me, it's, it's synonymous. They're one and the same. Either you believe God or you don't. You believe God for the whole thing or you don't. Well, I believe God for this part. But this part over here, I don't know. I've been praying for this house now for six months. I've been looking for this job for six months. I've been hoping for this new car for six months. I've been hoping for a a, a spouse or a companion for six months. If If God says he's going to provide for you, and if you can believe that you're going to heaven and that you're saved, then why can't you believe that God's going to answer your prayers? Amen? 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 Verily, verily, I say unto you, 47, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believes on me has everlasting life. 48, I am that bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. Your fathers did eat manna, meaning physical food in the, in the, in the, in the, um, in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that a man may eat thereof and not die. Please underline verse 50. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that a man may eat thereof and not die. So if you believe that who Jesus, that Jesus is who he says he is, 
And you're eating of Jesus, meaning that you're partaking of his will, you're partaking of his word, you know, you're, you're, you're truly following Jesus and you believe everything that he's saying, um, that you shall not die. I'm talking about eternal. For the word of God says it is, it is appointed to man that, that uh, should once die, but I'm talking, about, I'm talking about the eternal, that's physical death. But you have eternal life. Verse 51, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. Underline, if any man eat of that bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Wow, powerful statements, powerful statements. And again, if you have a red letter Bible, these words are written in red, meaning that this is Jesus doing the speaking. And one more time, 51. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, eat of Jesus, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Now, he was knowing that uh, giving his flesh and dying on the cross, he knew all this was coming down the pike. Yes, so he was being obedient to the Father. 52. The Jews, therefore, strove among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? They didn't have the faintest idea what he was talking about. They had the faintest idea. You know? They're envisioning themselves that Jesus, Jesus is saying, Come and become a cannibal. <laughs> you know? Take a right arm, take a left leg, and just eat my flesh. And, and, and this is going totally over their heads. The Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Please underline that too. Has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eats my flesh and drinks my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. As the living, as the living uh, Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eats me, even he shall live by me. This is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eats of this, of this bread shall live forever. So it's meaning really being a, a deep follower of Jesus, understanding and, and taking in his words, feeding on his words, you know. You know, how, how many realize even that, you know, when you're, you're feeling ill, something is going on, a cold, or you got pains, aches and pains and whatnot. Again, I promise you, you start reading, reading the word of God, start praising God, go into your, your closet, your prayer closet and start singing praises to the Lord and praising him. Those aches and pains will disappear, will go away. I mean, Jesus is truly the bread of life. I mean, he's, he's, he's the, the sustenance of, of our very beings. These things said he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Verse 60. Many, therefore, of his disciples, whom they had, whom they, uh, whom they had heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can hear it? Who can understand it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, does this offend you? 
What and if, uh, what and if you shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? It is the Spirit that quickens. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. It is the spirit that quickens. It is the spirit that brings life. The flesh profits or benefits nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. The words that you're reading here which Jesus spoke, they're life. They're life to you. They're life. But the way for them to be life to you is to believe it. To understand that this is God that is speaking. This is Jesus doing the speaking which is speaking uh, God because Jesus is doing the will of God. Amen? So his words are life to you. you know? and, and I say to you too, you want to feel yourself really start getting in a funk as the kids say. You stay out of the word of God long enough. You stay out of the word of God in terms of reading it, meditating on it. You stay out of it long enough. And you watch. Not only will things in your life all of a sudden start perhaps going awry, but you, you, you physically can get into a place where you're just constantly depressed. You may have aches. You may have pains. You may all of a sudden get colds. You may have this. You may have that. You know, I mean, you know, I, I, I don't know. But you, you get into this kind of a funk, a general feeling of blah. You stay out of the Word of God long enough. Amen? Because Jesus said, He said that, 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 that I, I, I'm divine. And you're the branches. Then you need to stay attached to me. Okay? And that scripture that where he gives all of that discussion about the vine and the branches. He's the true vine. It, it, it's like you watching a branch fall off a tree in your backyard. And if that branch just lies in your yard on the, on the grass or on the concrete or wherever it may fall. You go by in a few days and that branch is dead. It's dead, it's totally withered, it's dried up. Why? Because it is not getting sustenance from the tree. It's not getting the sap, you know, or the nutrients from the tree. Jesus said we are like that, you see. And Jesus gave us these deep spiritual insights that many people just don't grasp, they don't get it. And they wonder why they're kind of feeling out of sort. Just a general kind of blah feeling. You know, you get those feelings, you make sure you go to the Word. You may have been away too long. You may not have been really praying enough or really focusing on what the Word of God is saying. You need to go get reattached to the vine, so to speak. Amen? Believe it when Jesus said that. Jesus knows us. Jesus created us. Being God, part of the Godhead. So He knows. And the words He's giving us here is wisdom and it's life for us if you're willing to take it and believe it. But you've got to believe it. That's the whole thing. I can't overemphasize that. You've got to believe it. You can sit there with me and listen to me read these scriptures. You can read these scriptures. But deep down in your heart of hearts and your spirit, if you don't believe it, then they're not going to do you any good. Amen? Amen? 63 again. It is the spirit that quickens. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you that believe not. Please underline that, 64. But there are some of you that believe not. But these are his disciples he's talking to. There are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not, and who should betray him. And he said, Therefore said I unto you, that no man can come unto me, except it were given unto him of my Father. Okay? Again. Therefore I say unto you, that no man can come unto me, except it were given unto him of my Father. 
Again, this is God the Father's relationship in your life. A few more scriptures here and then we're going to close. Verse 66. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Do you believe that? From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. How many times does truth come to you and you just want to dispel it or pass it, pass it off or poo-poo it? How many times has the truth in terms of the word of God been given to you and you just kind of dismiss it? And I say to you also, because I know this as a fact, being a pastor, there are many that have fallen away from the church because what they have heard they've just refused to accept and believe. Many. Many that just fall to the wayside. The word of God says elsewhere that in the end times that even the very elect may be deceived. That means that those people that are, 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 are so deep in the Lord. Almost kind of want to use the word pious. You know, but many times those people, they wind up falling away. Jesus is giving them truth. But when they heard it, they decided that they weren't going to follow Jesus anymore. Don't let yourself be in that predicament. Don't let yourself be in that predicament. Just because of the fact that maybe, maybe you are not deep enough to understand what God is saying through his word or what the word of God is saying to you. Just because you may not understand, don't be so quick to dismiss it. Whenever you're hearing the word of God, listening to someone giving the word of God, and if it's troublesome to you or you're not understanding it, this is where you need to get with Holy Spirit speedily and understand, first of all, am I hearing truth? And Lord, what does this really mean? Before you go turning it off, shutting it off, and just simply dismissing it and deciding that I'm not going to believe that and maybe eventually not following Jesus, you see? Because you can get to the point where you start hearing the word of God and all of it's unadulterated and all of it's, it's truth. At times the word of God can be stinging to you. It can sting a little bit. But the word of God says that these words are here for, for correction as well as edification. So when you hear something in the word of God, if it doesn't quite sit, sit right with you, if it is indeed the word of God and you know it is, and you're not in agreement with it. You need to search yourself and figure out why and, and go to God and why am I feeling this way before you just start saying that I'm going to totally reject it. That part of the Bible doesn't apply anymore, which I've heard so many foolish people say. And just totally reject it. You need to, to, to check it. You need, you need to, to understand. 64, there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. I just feel hung up on this whole thing of belief. And I'm just going to take it a couple of more minutes. I believe that there are those that are wrestling with the problem of belief, of really, really believing. And I'm telling you that it's standing in the way of your blessings. You've got to get to the point that you really, really believe what the word of God is saying. And stop rationalizing and stop making excuses and stop trying to explain it, explain it away. If you're not believing in this day and age that is coming up, that is before us, what is going on in this world around us, what's going on in this country, you need to know what's going on. There's an orchestrated plot 
by none other than the devil himself and you need to know what's going on in this world don't be those that, that lock yourself off away from newspapers or good television or you know, hearing news and whatnot. you need to know what's going on in the world there's persecution going on against, against Christians, against Christianity and there's an orchestrated plot out there which is increasing for the devil to just simply overthrow anything in this country that is pertaining to God believe that So now is the time for you to really start looking and examining your faith and your true belief in God. Do you really, really believe? How much do you trust Him? Because there are going to be times where you're going to see supernatural movement of Holy Spirit in this country. And if you're not swift enough to understand what's going on, you can maybe find yourself not not benefiting as much as God would want you to benefit. Or to, to wind up prospering spiritually and physically for that matter. You need to, to really figure out where is your, what is, is your belief level in God. Do you really, really believe? And no one can answer that. You know and God knows. You know and God knows. The same way Jesus said there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning uh, who they were that believed not and who should betray him. And he said, Therefore said I unto you, that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my Father. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. 67. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will you also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, uh, answered him Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. Please underline, underline that. Thou hast the words of eternal life. Can you also say that? Can you also say that with belief in your heart that Jesus has the words of eternal life? Okay? Alright? Can you really say that? Verse 69. And we believe and are sure that thou art that, thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered them, Have not I chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for he, for he it was that should betray him, one of the twelve, being one of the twelve. And of course he was speaking of Judas as he says there, and he knows. The same way he knew that, Jesus, that uh, Judas was going to betray him, the same way Jesus knows whether or not you believe in him. So now it's up to you. You have the facts laid out before you. You have what the Word of God says about this time of year. So it gives us some time between now and Christmas Day to think on these things, to meditate on these things, and to realize and understand that this whole setup, this whole thing with the birth of Jesus was a part of God's wonderful, elaborate plan. And it's all focused on you. It's not just something that is in a department store. It's not just toys and other things like that that we do around the season. But it's a lot deeper than what we kind of almost forget about sometimes around Christmas. Praise God. I hope this message was a blessing to you. Now before we close, let us honor God with our tithes and offerings.